Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have Tyler Williams, the Director of Sports Science and Assistant Athletic Trainer to the Los Angeles Rams NFL team. In this episode with Tyler, we will be discussing return to play testing and building your own AMS system and more. This episode has been sponsored by Vol Performance makers of Forstex, the world's fastest, easiest, and most powerful dual force plate system. Forstex can help you to analyze neuromuscular strength, performance, and imbalances in your athletes. With an incredibly simple setup and intuitive software, Forstex automatically detects over 15 common force plate tests and analyzes them with a single click, helping you to collect quick and accurate insights on your athletes. To learn more, head over to our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald, and here is today's guest, Tyler Williams. Tyler, welcome to the show, mate. It's, uh, it's fantastic to have you on. Yeah, Andy, thanks for uh, reaching out and, uh, and having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. No pleasure. Just to, just to begin with, mate, would you be able to outline your, kind of, uh, your professional story and your professional background, just so we can kind of get some context for, you know, for where you are now and how you got there? Yeah. Uh, grew up in the Midwest. Um, you know, growing up, uh, like a lot of people in sports, love sports. Um, everything from playing to watching to just reading. And, you know, quickly realized as I started playing at a little bit of a higher level, uh, physical limitations, you know, 5'11", 165 pounds doesn't get a, a ton of looks unless you just are unbelievable in a certain skill. Um, so with that, I, I attended Truman State University and um, and went through their exercise program, exercise science program with an emphasis in athletic training. So it really drove a, a sports medicine avenue first uh, in the athletic training. And then from there, in undergrad, got an internship with the Rams that turned into a full-time position. And after that, our, uh, my, my boss, our, our VP of sports medicine, Reggie Scott, really helped propel my career and push me into a sports science avenue around probably 2012 to 2013, uh, and then got my master's in performance and injury prevention and and really and really transition into like a dual role at that point between a medical lens and a sports performance lens blended together. So you mentioned your you know your background. How does your kind of uh, role fit into the Rams organization? And and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, professionally, who do you have, and and how does that kind of department get structured? Yeah. So starting off um, as an athletic trainer by trade in the in the sports medicine department, um, we're structured in in the sports medicine side as with a head athletic trainer, uh, multiple assistant athletic trainers, a couple physical therapists on staff that all kind of have their own unique individual niche that brings up the table, whether it's manual therapy, um, rehabilitation, foot and ankle mechanics. Um, but then our performance umbrella structure also has player development, um, a dietitian, a strength and conditioning department, um, a mental health component and, where sports science, as I transitioned into that, that helped kind of link all those disciplines together on a common ground, just because of the fact that I believe sports science provides an opportunity for all these different disciplines or different languages to, to communicate together because as you have all these merging sciences and some of the technologies helping those kind of blend together, people are getting away from silos of departments, which is great. 
Um, and so if you kind of view it as a, as a six lane highway where all those lines are hard yellow lines where people can't really merge lanes, I think sports science offers that opportunity to make those dotted white lines where people can now blend into other people's lanes. And, and that link is a, a sports science avenue of, well, if I'm going to measure somebody's workload, I should also probably pair it with what they're doing in the weight room. Oh, I should also probably pair it with our dietitian down the, down the hall. So I think it creates those um, almost collision communications and gets really at a, a performance department in sync on the same page and really maximizes what you're providing for your athletes. Yeah. You know, when you're building a department like that, and I guess to some degree you want a, a good amount of kind of cognitive diversity to, to problem solve and get new ideas into the, into the fold. How do you kind of, you know, I'm just curious for you guys or for you, do you look for um, individuals who are, you know, very specialized in their field and their field only, or do you look for people that are maybe more dual credentialed and have got, you know, a variety of backgrounds or is it, is it the case that you need a bit of, a bit of both some people that are very purist in their field and some people that are more generalist. How do you kind of, how do you balance that when you're, when you're outfitting a staff? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a book that I just got done reading called the talent war. And I think it's an absolute, um, home run for somebody who is in a, a hiring position. Um, and the way we kind of view it here is, is, is number one being a high character person because the high character is what's going to make that that staff gel and function at a high level. But then number two, we kind of try and put it together, even though we're a football <laughs> performance program, we kind of put it together like a basketball team, right? Like if you have three point guards, your team's not going to be very good. You might be very talented within that entity, but you're lacking other things. Like you need that, you need that six man off the bench that'll just go in and do some of the gritty work. You need a rebounder. You need a shooter. Um, so we kind of look at it like that, like, hey, in the, in the weight room, we want someone who's phenomenal at programming. We want someone who has some sports science background that can also communicate with me and, and we can be aligned and synced in the same page. Um, we want uh, a physical therapist who has some, some um, like our, our PT, our director, Riyad Byron Cunningham, has a good knowledge set in, in force plates and workload management too. So the crosstalk becomes very easy to understand. And, and becomes efficient that way to how we want to um, bring that athlete back into play from a return to play um, piece. Yeah, because I feel, I feel like you used to get these kind of either or imperfect and very kind of polarizing questions. And I, I probably asked them myself, if I'm honest, you know, where you, you, you people think to themselves or question, do you want a, a specialist or a generalist in a certain department when actually you don't necessarily have to be either you can be both or, you know, any combination of within the department. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Just like how we treat our athletes, right? Like you almost have to do a needs assessment on your own staff and say, Hey, what are we lacking? Um, for example, we were, we were lacking, uh, maybe some foot ankle, um, kinematic analysis or shoe wear analysis or cleat um, orthotic type analysis. And so we have an assistant athletic trainer that kind of spearheads that. And he has some background in uh, working at, with a podiatrist. So that gives us a, a piece within our team that we didn't have before. Um, it's funny, even, even as I got started into sports science, our, our vice president, uh, Reggie Scott, he's, he's so, 
unbelievable with anatomy and physiology. He is just so elite at understanding how the joint is functioning, how the tissue is functioning within, within um, that movement and how the anatomy is working. And, and if they have a, a chondral defect or if they have a, a, um, 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 some disruption in tissue, he's understanding how to make those points work together to, to keep that athlete in a, in a safe place. And as I wanted to kind of go down that road at one point, I kind of had this aha moment, like, okay, that's what he does on our staff. Very elite. If I also follow that road, it doesn't give us something that we need. It doesn't give us something that we don't have. So that really drove me to, that doesn't make us better as a staff that drove me to really drive down the road 10 years ago into the blending technology with some sports science concepts into what we do and give us something we didn't have before and and really bridge a gap. That's pretty cool. And it's an unusual um, combination. I feel like as well, I feel like quite often you see, um, you know, PTS and C or PTAT, especially in America, um, which I think is just pretty interesting. Uh, Acknowledging that kind of professional bandwidth, how do you um, personally apply sports science concepts or principles uh, to maybe improve rehab? Just just hearing your your dual credentials. Yeah, um, in simplistic terms, here I mean, sports science has probably so many different meanings, especially as of the last ten years with the, the vast advancement of technology. And here, it's really just we try and trim everything down to just systematically monitoring and measuring and then analyzing what we're taking in and implementing a new strategy to create a more effective or efficient outcome, pure and simple. Um, We kind of call it uh, in our sports science department, the McDonald's concept, right? Like we want to do simplistic burgers and fries, but we want to try and do it better than anybody else. I think sometimes uh, simplicity is probably pretty difficult in team sports because of all the different disciplines and different personnel that have to be on the same page. So usually complexity or trying to do something extremely granular is very tough. So that's that's probably the the main overarching concept that we try and, and drive with, with sports science integrated, whether it is in nutrition or strength conditioning or sports medicine. And then really just starting with just consistent measurements for healthy players that can provide us with um, a baseline or a target if they do get injured. That way we always have a starting point of something to work backwards from to see if they're progressing towards where we want them to be um, and, and that our excess prescription is, is getting the proper response that is intended. You know, how do you know an athlete's really ready? You know what I mean? And that kind of spurs the why we get into return to play testing. You know what I mean? Like if you're not measuring it and you feel like they're ready based on what you're seeing them perform, and then they get in and they're at a, they're still at extreme risk in a fresh state, much less a fatigue state. That shows the, um, the emphasis and puts the premium on being able to objectify and measure that. I guess one thing that I feel like it always differs team to team. I don't know whether it's something you can discuss is like um, every, every, you know, everybody essentially uh, has – some form of monitoring and way of profiling athletes, but how, you know, how do you, um, how often do you profile and how do you integrate that into a schedule? I feel like it's quite a hard thing and different between different teams and leagues. 
Yeah, I think I think with that it is it's very tough, especially within our sport, um, just because it's you kind of have this this mash unit after a game, right? And it's you go through this weekly rhythm of okay, we're in full repair mode right after the game to then prep mode to then prime refine and then strike again right on a, on the next game and then you start that process all over and depending on what your how your game gets played uh, whether it's heavy offense that one week or it just happens to be a defensive game you have to quickly adapt your strategies for that next week to make sure certain players or certain positions aren't getting way too overloaded or way too overworked outside their norms. Um, so profiling um, is something that we kind of look at as almost like an 80-20 model. Like hey, 80% are going to stay within the blueprint potentially of a program. Our top 10% might be a, a maintenance or enhancement and our, maybe our bottom 10% might be a developmental piece. Um, and, and I would say in season, it's more intentful emphasis probably on your training and in the off season where we don't have the games on the weekend, we can actually try to, to program, to get a, a desired change of that athlete to where once training camp starts, once that long in season happens and, and on the field becomes the most important platform, then we are kind of trying to maintain that athlete becomes the identity um, maintain them at their at their optimal state for the course of that season and postseason to where in season we're trying to work on changing that athlete to enhance them as much as possible and obviously in the nfl especially you've got very kind of regimented stages to the season and off season and when they begin and cutoff points does your kind of you know you mentioned simplicity does your philosophy on how sports science is applied maybe in rehab or or just in general does that apply significantly through those different stages yeah yeah so if i'm, I'm understanding you right like return to play for us is is a very critical component of the performance structure and the performance program um and i think usually it's kind of something that sits in the back seat and isn't at the forefront so you really have a lot of investment in a lot of performance programs on assessment, on profiling, on workload management, on um, injury prevention programs, right? Where I think return to play just isn't as structured of a process sometimes. And it's tough because there are major injuries and you're usually working against time. Um, you know, You know, players have a lack of confidence because of something unknown that they haven't undertaken before. You have different pain tolerance. You have reconstruction within a joint you have different healing phases so and and then you have you involve multiple different disciplines everything from sports psychology to nutrition components that affect the different outcome of that um of that injury returning back to sport so it's such a critical component and i and we kind of thought you know why aren't we making return to play as structured of a process with integrated within sports science like we do everything else so that's where we started really using everything that we measure and, and understand our, progress, our, our progressions and, and alter our exercise prescriptions for our guys. Everything from, you know, utilizing biofeedback from force plates, right? Just getting, 
getting a player to understand how they're moving and how to control their bodies again and just putting them on a on a set of, of force plates and viewing the screen while they're weight shifting, while they're starting to unload, while they're starting to just brace isometrically and let them understand that because I think sometimes without those measurables, um, we always say here, you can't improve what you don't measure. Um, and so without those measurables, you might have an athlete that looks a little bit to the eye like he's squatting well and learning that pattern well again. But at certain points of that pattern, if it is significantly different limb to limb, you might not really be training the true intended um, prescription that you really were trying to get in the first place. Yeah, and this can kind of apply to the rest of the conversation in terms of sensitivity to your organization. So you only need to divulge as much as you're comfortable and allowed to say, but uh, you know, you mentioned force plate testing there and is that there's obviously very basic metrics that most people that have used force plates yeah. to be very aware of. Is there any specifics that you, you gravitate towards that might be perhaps interesting or, or very useful for your environment? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, and I'll kind of lead off with, um, reaching out to a lot of different colleagues within um, sports science, sports performance, everyone has their own little unique niche or flavor. Um, I've learned a ton from strength and conditioning paired with sports science, uh, different, different personnel in the field. Um, and then vice versa, I tried to reciprocate from a medical lens combination, right? Like I, I think about at the first point when we start implementing different um just a GPS player tracking strategy. And, and we looked at, you know, your total volume on field or your intensity, but we weren't as interested in your acceleration or, or max velocity to where I think a lot of people went. We were more interested in your deceleration mechanics, uh, your deceleration efforts, um, the total number of, of decelerations at different phases of practice that you're accumulating because we know that has a higher cost on the body. And also in those eccentric moments are where uh, most injuries occur. So we were very intrigued with that. And then, so we kind of took that same concept and applied it to return to play. So as a guy starts running back on the field, how are we, how are we understanding his progression of deceleration, even at an early phase to a, um, a, a slight progression on field, integrating back into practice and then at full capacity and then transitioning over to before the field, taking one step back on force plates, we've kind of developed, um, from what we've seen as we get a guy's eccentric capacity back up, his concentric capacity, and capability kind of takes care of itself. Like once he's able to control his load, what he then outputs kind of takes care of itself. It's a lot easier to gain those advancements than it is on the eccentric side. Um, and so we've kind of developed this traffic light system at the beginning. So if a guy jumps, we say, Hey, his green light is eccentric unloading impulse. So as he starts that free fall, we're looking at limb to limb differences from an eccentric unloading impulse and then we make the analogy with our players a lot on, as I'm sure a lot of people do in the field of, of vehicles, right? So as, and then our yellow, so it goes from green light to yellow light. Um, and we look at eccentric breaking rate of force development. So as he's starting to break that free fall to load up for his counter movement jump, as you're applying those brakes slowly, how does that look limb to limb? 
And then we also pair that with a kinematic analysis of videoing those jumps. So mechanically, how is he, um, how does he look? How is he handling those forces? And then what is the actual objective number look like? And then our last step is, is red light. So right when they come to that hard stop before they transition over to then go concentric, uh, force production, we look at eccentric deceleration rate of force development and, and how that looks again, limb to limb differences. And then our progression is if they can't really unload equally, well, we're going to prescribe certain exercises, certain modalities, certain treatments to, to correct that. Then we're going to move to the yellow light. We have certain exercises that produce, uh, to work on that, that phase of eccentric braking. And then another step forward, then we'll find different exercises to work on their red light. Nice. Yeah. Keeps it simple. Um, yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Is my, yeah, no, completely. I think like, okay. um, I think, you know, traffic light systems have, uh, have been in, have been used in all sorts of different forms of sports science, but I, I don't think it really matters what the metric is. They always keep things simple. Um, and you, you mentioned your, I guess your gravitation towards simplicity as a department, um, and doing it well with the with the force plate stuff. Do you, if that's given you the kinetics, do you ever use say kinematics to cross compare? So things like I don't know squat depth, or does that uh, does that shift it too far away from the simplicity? Yes, um, it's it's interesting. As we started down this road, we were looking at these metrics, and and as you would see um, increases or decreases, you're then asking a more advanced question of why are those increases or decreases occurring. And then we had to go down the road of, oh, well, actually, his rate of force development went down, but that's not a bad thing because his counter movement depth went, is greater, right, to your point. Um, and so they're actually loading at a, at a better rate, not as stiff, right? So it's either too slow, too stiff, or kind of just right. So within our eccentric variables, we kind of try and find this honey, honey pot or, or sweet spot area, if you will, that gives us the best outcome. Yeah. And I, I've heard um, Dave Hamilton speak to, I think it was Rob Pacey's podcast um, a while back. And he was talking about his use of force plates for looking at uh, readiness rather than just as a, you know, maybe a, a profiling metric that you can program for. Um, do you guys use them as a readiness metric or does it uh, become more of a, a profiling tool essentially for you guys? No, it's, it's, it's funny you bring that up. That's where we started. Uh, we started looking at it and using it as a readiness tool week in and week out. And, and again, going back to simplicity, understanding the players who weren't as ready, can we just implement different recovery strategies based upon that and target guys that flag that aren't ready, implement those strategies, have that come back up. And then while that kind of process is running, um, we started looking at things in the return to play piece in a more comprehensive approach. And if, you know, if collecting the data is, is one part of the equation, how do you kind of personally strategize the, the interruption, I guess, like the, you've got the information, you've got the data, the, so what factor, what are you going to do next of it? So, you know, what I mean by that is how do you strategize interruption of, um, you know, pulling players off sessions or talking to coaches, communicating, how do you kind of, um, navigate that important part of the part of the puzzle? 
Yeah, um, that's taken some time over years, just collecting years of data. But we try not to pigeonhole ourselves either from one entity of, hey, maybe their neuromuscular readiness from our force plate jumps um, is flagging. But maybe on field, they're, they're, they're in a good range of their workload on field. And also their weight room metrics are, are in a good spot and their subjective um, wellness scores are good, right? So it's, it's really a collection of all these different avenues of information that kind of go through a filter system to say, hey, this guy is really flagging in multiple areas. Let's dial him back on the field. Or this guy is in a great spot. Let's go ahead and push him. And this guy's kind of right in the middle. Let's go ahead and just maintain what we have. Yeah, that makes sense. When we um, when we connected before and uh, we were talking shop, you mentioned uh, you built your own AMS system or athlete management system, uh, which is something I'd love to discuss. And I'm confident most uh, strength coaches and sports scientists have, have played around with at least Excel for programming uh, and monitoring. But I think in recent years, that's probably been replaced with R or other coaching languages as the hardware evolves. Could you set the scene maybe in detail why you built your own AMS versus maybe going off the shelf uh, without burying any brands that do off the shelf software. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, off the, uh, the brands that are off the shelf for an, for an AMS system are all very, very, I mean, let me start over the, the off the shelf athlete management systems are very good. Um, we chose probably about 10 years ago to go down the road of building our own, um, our organization was already laying the groundwork from a um, probably personnel department side of how we're keeping all of our data collection and our information in one location. So, and when you say I built it, that is very loose. I built it because I did not build it, but um, our analytics and, and web developer in-house did. And gosh, did they do just such a great job. Um even 10 years ago, I mean, we did, we just did so much stuff on Excel, which, it, which is great, but it just has so many different limiting factors to it of connecting, um, larger databases and getting stuff fast and, and having it more automated. Um, and then we kind of transitioned to like a, a bigger system like Tableau or Power BI to make things a little bit more efficient, um, that have, uh, have more capabilities than what Excel does and some better visual outputs. And then we transitioned a lot of that to our own athlete management system, which is basically web-based and has all the API connections with everything that we use. And also has our ability to um, put it, you know, put in manual inputs as well as not just APIs, but manual inputs or data dumps through an Excel. And, and really the, the goal of that is just to have a centralized location that enhances that communication between all our different disciplines. Yeah. As a bit of a scenario, if somebody from another team was to to bump into you and ask you about this and say, you know, what are the pros and cons to building your own versus uh, going off the shelf? How would you kind of steer them? Yeah, I, I think the way I would portray that is building your own is kind of having a blank canvas. You can paint it however you want. Um, off the shelf, you, you kind of have these guardrails, right? That you, you can say, Hey, I would like to have this. And they have to make a, a global change for a lot of people and a lot of their clients to where 
if we find something we know we really want to implement and we know we need it now, we can walk down the hall and have it updated tomorrow. That's very powerful. Um, we also have the capability to leverage a lot of just open-ended data sources against each other as opposed to just what's structured within the framework of a off-the-shelf. Now, it is a big undertaking. I, I mean, some of the some of the graphs that we started with um, eight years ago really looked like you know looked like your kids drew it right with crayon, and now it's kind of evolved into being very dynamic where you can print, send, um, scroll across and it's, and it's in real time, giving you the, the feedback of the, the metrics or the, or the measurables. And then we use a lot of those reports to structure presentations with coaches or players. So it becomes an all encompassing one-stop shop, but it, it didn't come without headaches, but putting that investment in, in the front end, we're really living some of the fruits of that labor now. And kind of, I guess one of the things I always wonder is how, how smooth was the, the process in terms of like taking raw data and uh, plugging in all these APIs? Because theoretically it can sound slick, but in reality you've got to um, just navigate tons of different uh, tools, I'm sure, with your environment. Yeah, and, and, and some of those um, is more on our data manager side as opposed to mine, but there is still constantly, you know, little things. It's like having a vehicle, right? It's, Hey, I got to go get the oil changed or I got to change the air filter or, you know, I'm I'm low on brake fluid or whatever it may be. Um, it's the same thing that happens with, Hey, company a changed their API and changed one column. And now the reports aren't coming up. So you kind of have to troubleshoot it. So having your own athlete management system does come with a few of its own headaches, but you do have control of your headaches as opposed to relying on a third party. And as it, uh, as it kind of pertains to American football or, or maybe the Rams, if you're allowed to say, um, how did you kind of break down the, I guess the needs analysis or, or how did you structure the, your old systems and, and how you're going to transition them into the new system? Um, Really, uh, I think from a needs analysis side, we started with what can we affect change with, right? So can we affect change in certain metrics on with player tracking, like acceleration, deceleration within practice? Probably not. So let's start with our, our overall reports that are going to give us a, a good idea of what that athlete is performing and are they performing above or below their norm? or starting to look at some of our trends of on-field workload to say, let's put these easy digestible visuals together um, that, a, that a clinician can understand, that a strength coach can understand, a sports scientist can understand, to a coach, to a GM, right? It's, it should be a common language. It should be a one voice, one message approach. And, and I think that's powerful. Um, it's, it's funny too. And, and I think everybody goes through this, but there are some times where we're printing off some of these slick looking reports and handing them to players um, to utilize over a, over a break, right. Of how to prepare for the next upcoming phase of training. And you go back and look and you're like, man, that was so good. But gosh, looking at it now, it's so confusing. It's way too much. And you just learn, I think as with experience and advancement, you learn how to take a lot of information and really refine it down to, as simple as possible because that's that's the most actionable 
Yeah, kind of what, what have been the most meaningful parts uh, or meaningful ways you've been able to communicate the data to players or coaches? Because I feel like sometimes you can you can go into the weeds and spend hours or days um, developing a certain part of it or graphic or, or technical part of it. And then it can be really easily overlooked. I guess, you know, what have been the, the most effective or the most meaningful uh, parts of it when you've expressed it to others? Yeah, I think some of it's matching it up with, again, you touched on needs analysis, understanding what that athlete needs for this sport, for his position, and then him specifically to be successful within that position. You know, is he a pass catching tight end or is he a three down tight end or is he more of a a run personnel tight end? Well, all three of those tight ends in that one position all have different needs that are going to make them successful. So taking those needs and understanding um, what can in, what can bridge the gaps to make them the best player. Now we're working backwards and putting together a, a holistic approach of all these measurables and putting it on a presentation format and, and delivering that to the player. And whether they're able to consume all of it or pieces of it, a big component of that is, is gaining player buy-in with that presentation. And, and they don't need to know all the nitty gritty granular details within it, but giving them, that information because it is their information providing that to them letting them take that in and giving them the strategies to say here's now what you use this information here's how we're going to bridge this gap here's how we're going to make you better in area a b and c and giving them those take-home strategies i think then when you implement them the intent and buy-in from the athlete really drives your performance-driven culture yeah and one, one of the questions i've asked a few guests in the past um, especially in American sports where the players have an off season is the players can kind of go into a, a bit of a, uh, into a black hole from your perspective where you don't, um, you don't necessarily have them in the off season. They might be with, um, home trainers or trainers around the States or wherever they kind of gravitate towards. How do you kind of, uh, uh, can you can you kind of keep them on the grid or on your radar with the athlete management system when they disappear to their private trainers and places? Um, you can a little bit, depending on what mobile measurables that you can, you can sync in with it. Um, for example, I know like team polar pro from a GPS side, they have, um, player tracking watches, right. That, that measures how far you're running different. Uh, you can set your velocity zones. You can set some of your workload. They have a, a, what I'd call a, a nightly recharge type metric, and that can sync in with your team Polar Pro system. Um, if the athlete wants to wants to divulge that and share that with you, uh, but other than that, it's very limited. A lot of it is, you know, kind of that old school call and check in. How are things going? What what are things that aren't going well? What are things that are that are going well? What what issues are you having? Um, and pair that up with what you know of that athlete from your history with them and giving them some guidance. But um, there are some times we kind of understand what they're producing. If that trainer has a velocity based tracking device that they use within their program and we can kind of gauge where they're at, but that that's a very difficult hurdle that we have not necessarily figured out all the way to this. Yeah. Point. Well, probably, probably you and everybody else. I'm sure. I think that's, just the nature <laughs> yeah, of that's the, a tough one. <laughs> the nature of the leagues out here. Um, yeah. 
We'll um we'll kind of inevitably have some uh, younger listeners or, or fresher listeners, I guess, in in whatever retrospective that field they're in, uh, tuning into this episode, and uh, who are probably always going to be curious about how you get into the the league or how you get into the team. And I guess one of the things I've always noticed with NFL staff, especially eighties uh, and strength and conditioning coaches, is um, they've done X number of internships at different teams uh, before getting into their roles. I guess. You know, when you're looking for maybe a, a slightly younger member of staff um, into one of the roles, how do you how do you recruit them? What do you what do you look for? Is it is it the case that you want the internships, or how, how does kind of uh, the desirability factors play into it currently um, for you guys, or maybe for the league? Yeah, I think um, I think we'd be looking for somebody who is is number one passionate about their their field. Um, that wants to be in pro sports, that wants to get gain some experience at a young age. I mean, that's kind of how I started. I got in the door, and I did three internships here with the Rams before I even got a, a seasonal internship, and then that turned into full-time, right? So it just was one of those things where I sent my resume to all 32 teams. And, I, and those four to five years of internships gave me uh, priceless experience to then help me excel and, and gain that, that full-time position. So um, I think too, nowadays, just being a, a younger professional getting into the field, really looking for people who have a wide range of skills, not just are centrally focused on, Hey, I can do athletic training really well, or I can do strength conditioning really, really well. Um, well, how, how are you with technology? How are you with Excel? How are you with Tableau? How are you with, um, just almost conceptual process learning is that range cover a broad spectrum of of athlete performance, not just specific to your field. Um, so you can kind of wear multiple hats. Mm. That's really useful, and I think there'll be there'll definitely be listeners who um, who are at that current stage, and they're trying to map their their route into the into the league or into a team currently. So, yeah, uh, no, thank you for that, Tyler. That's probably all we've got time for today. Where's the best place for listeners to follow you? They can follow me on Twitter at t y w i l l four h, or also I'm always welcome to answer any emails at t williams at rams anytime that's great mate thank you very much for coming on the show today really appreciate your time andy thanks again for having me on the show today had a great time i've always enjoyed listening to informed performance and and look forward to connecting again in the future big thanks to tyler for coming on today's episode of informed performance great to hear his views and insights and for us at informed performance i think he is our first nfl based guest so great to have tyler on from the rams organization I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to contact us, see the show notes from previous episodes, or read articles from leading people in performance and sports medicine, then head over to informperformance.com. You've been listening to Inform Performance with me, Andy McDonald. Catch us next time for more performance and sports medicine insights.